You are listening to Service Course by The Cycling Podcast, powered by Super Sapiens. Energy management for committed athletes and coaches. Well, hello, um, I'm Tom Wally, um, not a professional cyclist in any form, and I'm with uh, Lizzie Banks, who is a professional cyclist in a form, in the form. Uh (laughs) Hello, Tom Wally. What on earth have we done to be allowed back on to the cycling podcast so soon? We must be in the good books of the gods of the cycling podcast. I think it's just it's just the chaos of the racing calendar, isn't it? You know, because you know we, we were supposed to we were due to be out in August, but then you've got things like the Vuelta just gets in the way. So that's why you've got us sort of almost back to back in September. Uh, Lizzie, what are we doing um, this week? Actually, before I got into that, where where the hell are you, Lizzie? You look like you've got a nice log fire behind you there. I am sitting next to a log fire because where I am, it is throwing it down. And that, no, that does not mean I'm in Sheffield for once because ironically, the weather is beautiful in Sheffield this week. But I'm actually up in sunny Scotland and it's been so wonderful. I'm up visiting my brother. I've not seen him for over two years, I think now, due to various reasons. And uh, so now that I'm kind of able to travel again and feeling much, much better, it was a great opportunity to come up here and get some more riding in, continue building up the hours. Um, and yeah, what better place to do it? I mean, riding here is just so great for the mind, body and soul. It's just yeah, absolutely beautiful. Yesterday we went down this this uh, single lane track on the side of a lock. I think it was a 25 kilometre road that led to absolutely nowhere. And it was just so spectacular. So anybody who's needing a mental reset, come up to Scotland and uh, it'll do the trick. Do you know what? I missed a chance to ride the um, to ride to Cape Wrath um, a couple of years ago. Do you know about Cape Wrath? That's another road to nowhere. It's, I think it's like the most westerly point on the mainland of Scotland, um, and it's, there's just a lighthouse and like a you know a gravel track that leads to it. But I've, I've, got, I've never really ridden in Scotland. I would love to do it. I had a few friends who did the um, North Road 500 recently as well it just looks i just look stunning north coast 500 north Tom, coast sorry your... that's right yeah sorry <laughs> yeah there's the north coast 500 um which is the road route there's also the highland trail 550 which is an amazing mountain bike route and actually currently at the moment i'm just outside fort william and we're going to be doing some mountain biking over the next few days and some parts of that and it's just yeah it's just beautiful i think just being so far from anything or anyone and surrounded by mountains it's it's a real calming influence and uh, yeah, great place to kind of to, to finish finish off the tail end of my rehab and really kind of get back on the horse or get back on the bike and get those hours in again and what better place to do it. So lucky and grateful to be up here really, even though <laughs> even though it's throwing it down and I'm currently uh, waiting for a, a big old band of rain to, to go through <laughs> so that I can ride in the drizzle rather than in uh, full Scottish storm. Well, I mean, look at you. I mean, you're in a much better place than I am because I'm currently under a blanket in my parents' house because I'm, I'm te- Lizzie, I'm technically homeless at the moment, uh, which is not, not a great place to be. I'm midway through a house move, so um, currently I've, we've relocated the family to um, to Nottingham, but like nothing is actually complete yet so my wife is working in Nottingham my kids are in nursery and preschool in Nottingham um, but we still live in Glossop in the Peak District so it's a blooming nightmare at the moment well we welcome all sorts on this podcast and we welcome <laughs> strays and the homeless so yeah hopefully hopefully you'll be just as home at home here even though you're not in your beloved shed anymore 
and that's why I sound so short. I forgot my microphone as well. I'm just so slow. Just honestly relocating every, you know, every at the moment we're like four days a week we have to relocate back to my parents' house and just like just the repeated and endless packing and unpacking. It's like I guess it's like being a pro rider, Lizzie, pretty much. Always on the road. Yeah, it is a little bit. Always on the road. It's been a bit different for me this year, but you are constantly moving about. And I guess actually that travel is is one of the things I've missed most. But Tom, have you packed your fixie? Because you're going to need it for this week's episode. Um, I haven't packed my fixie, but I have packed my AeroPress. That's how pro cycling I am. I'll go over with an AeroPress. No, I do. I miss my fixie. Do you know what? Actually, um, it's good that you mentioned fixies because I've been, um, I, like I said, I haven't been riding as much anymore because you know kids and, and work and stuff but um the one thing that i've really missed is just the simplicity of of riding my fixed gear around and actually i'm working on a on a fixed gear sort of special which will be coming up in the next month or so uh, so watch out for that one but why do i need a fixie for this week lizzie well this week we are talking about all things hill climbing so love it september and october are hill climbing season in the uk I think it was the the first podcast that I was involved in start to finish with the cycling podcast back in November 2019 I think go and check it out it was a really great podcast I got Was it that long ago them. Lizzie? It was that long ago you've been stuck Crikey. with me for that long Blimey I got sent off to the Mamnick hill climb uh, as the guinea pig to go and race it um, and interview loads of riders about the different balmy hill climb setups But from then till now, things have moved on even more. And the weight of the bikes that we're looking at now, sub five kilos, is not abnormal. But first of all, I just happened to come across the world's, maybe the world's, maybe the UK's steepest climb the other day on my doorstep. So, Lizzie, so, this, this is a big story, this. like, so, I mean, This is a really big story. The world's steepest climb has been discovered not only on your doorstep, but also in your playground. So it's near to one of your all-time... I mean, basically, your favourite climb is there. So we should have a Lizzie Banks, you know, Grand Fondo there, I reckon. Well, let's start marketing that, Tom, and uh, I can make my millions from the Lizzie Banks Grand Fondo, <laughs> <laughs> including... Uh, well, I don't know if we can call it the world's steepest climb. So we'll... Okay. we'll talk to some experts in a moment and they'll describe to you why it's cannot officially be the world's steepest climb but it is probably the uk's steepest climb but it's difficult how you measure it anyway i just happened to stumble across this climb the other day which is in my background in my back door in the peak district and i spoke to two of the uk's hill climbing experts about this new climb Hi, I'm Ben. I'm the founder of Bella Viewer. Uh, the site pulls in all your data from Strava and can provide uh, views on that in loads of interesting different ways to try and inspire to get out riding more. It's also used by the professional teams uh, for their race recons and during the races so they know what kind of parkour is coming up. Hi, I'm Simon Warren, uh, author of 100 Greatest Cycling Climbs and many other uh, books on, on hills. I've written and uh, self-appointed custodian of the list of steepest hills in Britain. Well, this week, there's been a rumour flying around that there is a new UK steepest climb. First off, how do you even find a new steepest climb? Surely it's been there all along. Yeah, yeah. So um, in, in the Peak District here, we've, we've had a, um, a byway, probably byway for many, many years, like decades. I've probably been there since... Uh, since, since the, it was just a, a horse and cart track, really. And, um, and 
and over the years it's had a lot of four-wheel drive and motorbike use and it's worn it all away and I became aware of it because it was always a real challenge on a mountain bike to try and ride it in. Um, but then a few years ago it uh, it had some some severe severe damage and it needed repairing and the council decided that they were going to put a nice layer of tarmac on the top. So all of a sudden we have a brand new tarmac, very steep road, just around the corner from us here in Sheffield. So then Simon, of course you were inundated with uh, notifications that there was a new potential UK sleepers climb and first thing you've got to do, king of the climbs, you've got to go and ride it. Uh, yes. It's a, it's, a, it's a cross I have to bear. So I, uh, yes, I, I, I gave Ben a ring. I said, come on, let's go and check it out. So we went down there, um, got down to Bamford. Did, we, we sort of looked at the top first and uh, didn't look over the edge. Sort of looking over the edge of a cliff. Uh, but then we went down to the bottom. It was wet. I, let, I gave Ben a minute's head start. Uh, I thought I'd just, just straight catch up with it. But uh, he rocked off. My bike broke. And I had to uh, endure the walk of shame, only to be captured by Ben on film and then publicly humiliated across social media that afternoon. But that wasn't enough for you, was it? Because I happened to bump into you later that day and I bumped into you with your bike upside down, chain jammed, chain twisted. Thankfully, I was your guardian angel there to rescue you. You'd gone back for a sneaky second try. Well, of course, all afternoon it'd been eating me up. I've not been beaten by a hill yet. Um, the angler had beat me first time, but I went back a couple of years later and I got it. So this 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 one's beaten me. So um, I thought I'd fixed the bike. I thought I'd found the problem. Uh, and then after work, quickly, I did, took the car to Stanage Edge, just rode out a little bit, uh, did one little effort just to check everything's working, and the chain bumped off the front ring again and jammed against the frame and just like, yeah, I was... I was close to melodrama, but yeah, you, you, you came and uh, cheered me up and saved the day. But neither of us made it out of the clough. So then you returned the next day, but without bikes. Yes. So Ben said, I'm going out again uh, tomorrow to take some pictures. I said, oh, well, I've got four days work, so I'll come at lunchtime and I'll bring my measuring equipment. And what, what is your measuring equipment? I assume that's some high-tech measuring equipment, maybe a digital digital type of spirit level that tells you the exact angle of the climb. Is that right? Uh, exactly. No, it's not. It's uh, two sticks are dragged out of a skip, uh, <laughs> a um, spirit level, and a marker, and a tape measure. Uh, and then just... just um, yeah, utilising the power of basic mathematics that our teachers promised us one day would come in handy, and it did. Well, the, the amusing thing watching him doing it as well was whenever he dropped anything, it would start sliding down the hill. <laughs> You'd have to like try and catch it before it disappeared off down. It's quite a long, a long, steep section, so it's going to be this marker pen would roll for miles. Well, what was the verdict of the uh, two sticks and trigonometry? How how steep did Bamford Clough end up? Well, uh, you know, according to my yeah, thorough scientific evaluation, I got it at 36.5% on its steepest part. Um, I've only measured one steeper. In fact, I've only ever measured one before. Uh, and, no, sorry, one. I've only ever measured one before. Let's cut that bit. <laughs> well, Ben, I'm assuming, I mean, your programme, Bellevue, is a little bit more sophisticated than two sticks. And I've seen that 
you know, over the last few days, you've mapped it against some of the UK's steepest climbs. And I guess when I'm thinking about how you measure the steepest climb, is it the steepest climb at one point on the climb, which of course, if you have a hairpin, you will have one very steep point? Or is it, is it, you know, labelled as the steepest because it's steep for a period of time over a certain distance? How on earth do you decipher what the steepest climb is? Yeah, so it, it's quite subjective, really, how steep a climb is, the maximum gradient, and I try and avoid it. Whenever I'm tweeting anything about climbs, I try and avoid the max gradient because it is always so subjective. Um, and, and from Bellevue, it takes all this data from Strava, so basically it's these that long recordings and elevation recordings, and it just isn't detailed enough. There's too much error in there to be able to come up with a, a, a maximum gradient for something. So, um, so Simon's measurement technique with two sticks is by far is far more accurate than what I can get for that. And even though it, he didn't get it out of a skip, um, but he's only measuring over a meter, so he's basically measuring the steepest meter on that climb. Um, when the uh, the road in Harlech tried to take over the the world's steepest steepest street uh, record, world record from uh, from Baldwin Street in New Zealand. They initially measured it, um, yeah, the, the world record at the time, it had to be measured over 10 meters, but it didn't specify where on the road. So they measured around the inside of a hairpin and it came out with uh, with, with a crazy gradient of, I think it was 37.45% it was at the time. But then people didn't even complain about that because Baldwin Street is a completely straight road. So it's the same gradient in the middle and at the side. Which kind of makes sense. On your bike, you'd never ride up the inside of the hairpin. You'd always go around the outside of the hairpin. So they went to Guinness and they changed the way that it, it's measured for the record. It now has to go to the center of the road. So the uh, the road in Harlem, they went back, re-measured it, and it was only, only 28.6% was measured through that center, the center of the road. But the great thing about Bamford Club, it is it's dead straight. There's nowhere you can avoid that max gradient. So you have to ride through that 36.5%. And, and it's actually, that is the steepest meter, but it's, for quite a long way, it is, it is over 35% for quite a lot, like a 20 meter stretch or something. So I think it could well be steeper than, than Baldwin Street, but unfortunately it can't get the world record because the world record stipulates it has to have houses alongside Bamford Club. It doesn't have any houses alongside. I'm going to see, I'm going to be back there next week and I'm going to see Simon Warren getting bricks out of a skip and trying to build a house next to his Bradford <laughs> Club. Well... <laughs> well then, Ben, do you think as, you know, you are really the king of the data, really, for, for these climbs, do you think that this is the steepest climb in the UK? It's certainly the steepest thing I've ridden upon tarmac, for sure. Um, I, I, I would have to go to to, uh, to, to Simon because he's ridden up the, the, the little service access road in Conway Valley, which is concrete. So I don't know if concrete roads count in the same way as, a, as like a asphalt road. Um, but uh, but so as far as I would say, uh, it, it, this is definitely the hardest thing I've ever ridden in the UK for sure. Um, I just I just finished writing a piece for a, a popular weekly cycling magazine. Uh, of what was, we all thought, was going to be the steepest climb in Britain, one that Dan Evans, National Hill Climb champ, had, had brought to my attention, which is a, a concrete service road, which Ben mentioned, 
the climbs out of the Conway Valley, um, which it, it's so hard at the top. It's like you feel like a weightlifter, every single ounce of your body just to get to the top. And again, I took my sticks and we measured that at 35 and a half. And I thought we're never going to get anything steeper than that. And then lo and behold, two weeks later, the tarmac set on Bamford Clough and it's steeper. Um, but although I've got to the top of Afro do as it's called in Wales, I've yet to reach the top of Bamford Clough, but I will. And I guess the last thing is that you're actually going back tomorrow for your fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh attempt. I mean, Ben did it first try, third, Simon, third so. Third, third time lucky. Uh, going back with Andy Jones, uh, because now now Cycling Week is on their radar. They want to feature for it. So with the camera rolling, I've got to give it one last try. Bike's fixed. Um, legs should have recorded from the Fred Witten. Let's, let's try it. He has asked me to come along as well, just in case he can't do it, and then I yeah. try to fit again and get the pictures taken on the internet. I'm well, just going to first up my head on his body. Chute, chute à l'arrière du peloton, cycling podcast, team car, the back of the pack, please. Well, that is the voice of Seb PK, as you know, interrupting so that I can tell you that this episode of Service Course is sponsored by the number one mental wellness app, Calm. Lizzie, uh, you've used Calm, haven't you, quite a lot? Well, as we spoke about when I first came back from from my recovery to the cycling podcast, meditation has become a really important part of my routine. My routine of recovery, but then actually my routine for life because my recovery from concussion helped me realize that my life is so busy and that we don't take much time for my for ourselves any of us and we don't take time away and I actually downloaded calm after listening to the cycling podcast with the cycling podcast code and I first started using Jeff Warren's how to meditate um, series which is a 30-day series and I found it so, so helpful. It's a series that guides you through meditation. And, and I, like so many people before I did this, was kind of a bit skeptical about meditation. I thought, you know, meditation, yoga, is this stuff really gonna help me? And I did it and I honestly can't tell you actually how life-changing it was for me with my recovery, but also how many principles I've learned in order to kind of handle the really bad things that go on in life, the the rubbish that goes on in life day after day, it just gives you a, a way to kind of like process everything, to step out of that and to have a break. And it's just been really incredibly valuable for me. And I mean, not only is there meditation on calm, there are sleep stories, um, mindfulness exercises, yoga exercises. It's it's just brilliant. It's really kind of, it's just so good for not not only your mental health, but your general well-being. And uh, I've really, really enjoyed using it. So we're partnering with Calm, the number one mental wellness app, to give you the tools that improve the way you feel. And God knows, do we need that right at the moment. Clear your head with guided daily meditations, improve your focus with Calm's curated music tracks, and drift off to dreamland with Calm's imaginative sleep stories. That does sound nice. And if you go to calm.com cycle, you'll get a limited time offer of 40% off a Calm premium subscription, just like Lizzie did. It includes hundreds of hours of programming and new content is added every week. Over 100 million people around the world use Calm to take care of their minds. Sleep more, stress less, live better with Calm.
Well, Lizzie, after hearing that, there's going to be a lot of uh, mountain goats uh, wanting to go and find that climb. I, I, I know exactly where it is. If you want to find it, sort of, can you give us a sort of a bit of a direction of, of how to come across? Because it is a little bit tucked away, isn't it? It is a bit tucked away. So head to the Peak District, Bamford in the Peak District. It, the climb is called Bamford Clough. So you, if you look on Valley Viewer, you'll be able to find this climb. But it's between New, New Road, which is a and beautiful And that's a beautiful climb. climb, isn't it? Yeah. It's a beautiful climb. It's one of my favourite climbs in the Peak District. It's a great way to get up to Stanage Edge without having to go on the main roads. Um, and you can either go up New Road and you'll see it on the right hand side. There's a big fence and it says road closed. And it was just a footpath. And actually, interestingly, after speaking to Ben and Simon, I was doing a bit of research about it and talking to Ben a bit further. And, you know, it's been closed for a couple of years and we were wondering why. And... Um, they they started digging it up and then they found an electric cable and then there was bureaucracy about who was going to pay for this cable to be moved. But then we looked into the free, a freedom of information request to find all this stuff. And actually the climb used to be cobbled and this was in there. So mm. can you imagine if you had a 36% climb on your doorstep that was also cobbled? That would have really been the hardest climb in the world, I think. So sorry, back to where it is. It's between New Road and Bamford Village. And if you have a look on a map, if you look on Bellevue, it'll be quite easy to find. All you have to do is look for the reservoir, don't you, really? The um, Derwent Reservoir, well, Lady Bowers, right there. Well, you just have to look right for there. the for the little climb that looks like a, a cliff edge really um <laughs> it's great. I'm, I'm gonna I'm, i am gonna try i mean new road itself is is no um easy climb i think uh i think the last time i went up there i think graham briggs used to ride for rafa condor jtl condor i think he had the um the con for that back in the day probably probably still does actually it was a pretty pretty fast wonder time if you can beat my time tom probably not <laughs> no, <I don't> <laughs> it's such a it's such a beautiful climb. What, what's the um, what's the estate that it leads to at the top? I forget what the name of the estate is because you have to go through a gate it, when you get to the top, don't you? It leads up. Well, it leads up to Stanage Edge, and actually, you don't go through a gate on that climb. There's another. There's another absolutely brutal twenty percent climb that comes directly up from Hathersage called um, Stanton Lees. That's uh, it. And that one goes through a little estate there, and so. If you want another climb that's just ridiculously brutal, come out of Hathersage on Coggers Lane and then where the road splits, go right up to up to Stanage Edge. And um, you'll wonder why I said this, because you'll start going downhill and then you will hit a wall. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, yeah, you'll be cursing yourself for taking my advice to go up there. Well, you really, if you are in that area, you mean a lot of people will be coming to that area very soon because it is hosting the National Hill Climb Championship, isn't it? It is indeed. So with that in mind, I decided to speak to one of the queens of British hill climbing at the moment, Rebecca Richardson, who has had a fantastic few years. But more than that, she is a great hill climber, but she has so much more to her story than that. She's a single mum. She runs an architecture practice. And I decided to to go and do... Um, the National Hill Climb Recon with Rebecca last weekend. And I also sat down with her and had the most amazing and inspiring chat about all things hill climbing, but all things life. And I really hope you enjoy this interview because I I think it's really one of the most inspiring interviews I've ever done to see what someone can achieve with so much adversity. So hope you enjoy listening. Wow. Well, what a 
beautiful day it is here in the Peak District today. When I left my home half an hour ago, there was not a cloud in the sky. And I am just about to be joined by two very special guests. They are whizzing towards me now. The queen, one of the queens, arguably, of the hill climb scene, and her partner, Rick Bailey. Here she is, perfect timing. Good morning, Rebecca Richardson. How are you? Morning, Lizzie. <laughs> well, we are off to do a very special ride today. Where are we going? Uh, today we're going to go and do a preview of Winnets, which is going to be the Hill Climb National Champs course for 2021. <laughs> Very exciting. Okay, well, let's get going before, well, it starts raining. No, it's not going to start raining today. Really <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, as you can probably hear from the heavy breathing, I've just climbed up Winnets Pass and, oh boy, it is not easy. Actually, I'm not even at the top. I'm just shy at the top, so I can uh, see Rebecca as she flies past on her race effort. But this is, oh, it is a real brute of a climb. At the bottom of the climb, you're already in your smallest gear. And it just ramps up and up and up. And if you have time to look up, it's absolutely spectacular. I mean, it's oh, probably the most photographed climb in the whole of the UK, but... Boy, is it a real, real brute. So, I'm just waiting here for Rebecca to do her race effort. I was actually worried that she was just going to fly past me as I was struggling my way up the climb. Oh, okay, here she comes. Oh my gosh. I mean, I'd love to say she was going really fast, but it's actually not possible to go really, really fast on this climb. But compared to how fast I was going, she's going pretty fast. Her partner Rick is clinging onto her wheel for real life. <laughs> to be honest, he's doing a pretty good job. Come on, Rebecca! Come on, come on, come on! Nearly there! Come on, come on, come on! Come on! Good job, good job! Nearly there! Oh, come on, Rick! Hang on! Come on! Oh, yes! Go on, go on, go on, go on! Go, 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 go! Ah, it's so bad. Well, you know what? Stopping to record and take photos partway up the climb, it's not a good idea because trying to start on a 20% wall, clipping in with cafe legs, or oh, not good, but Rebecca, that looked fast, but it looked brutal. Uh, that has to be like one of the hardest hill climb courses I think I'll ever ride. And it's going to be a nationals course. It's going to be absolutely amazing to watch, but horrendous to ride so steep and unrelenting it just, just gets steeper and steeper doesn't yeah it? and you you don't know whether you're in the saddle or out the saddle and like nothing feels comfortable <laughs> i just wanted it to end and then it did, <laughs> and then it did. <laughs> that is the beauty of this climb it's a spectacular climb for spectating and from the top you can see all the way down so it's going to be an absolutely phenomenal event if you're in the UK trying to make your way here for the 31st of October but maybe don't enter after hearing what Rebecca's just been through that's at the crumb as well oh <laughs> fastest time get in it's all about Strava crumb only in the recon so because on the day those times will just you know, I have to say, this is actually a really nice day up here today. I don't think I've ever yeah. not been up here when there's not been a howling westerly. Normally you get to this top quarter and it just howls down about 30 mile an hour headwind. Today's 
beautiful. The whole the whole climb is like a channel. It's yeah. like a funnel. It's like a channel. So, whichever way the wind's going, you're going to feel it. And unless it's right behind you, it's going to feel horrible. But today it's quite still, and actually it was probably a pretty fast day. I think so. It, it was like you'd think that the wind wouldn't really impact you on such a slow and steep climb, but oh, this it one, does. yeah, <laughs> really, really does. And um, like you say, we've had really good weather today. I want to say that we've had horrendous weather, so then it makes my time look even better. But Sorry, really, nice. we haven't, <laughs> and it's nice and nice and dry as well. Yeah, no, I think we need a smaller chainring again. Like, like I was like probably going like my rpm with a really small gear was probably a bit too low um i think i want to be like spinning up this climb what are you on at the moment well i did that in a 3428 which by you know any cyclist standards is quite a small gear or an easy gear however you want to call it but um personally for me i think i'd rather have you know a higher rpm trying to maybe even stay seated to spin my way up the climb I don't know, it's, you know, this is what we've got to like try and like look at and play with. What do you think? There's no easy way up that climb for sure. Do you need an easy gear? I was like, you know, I was having to get out of the saddle yeah. to keep the gear, keep my pedals going round. I don't know how you can ride that climb without getting out of the saddle, to be honest. I mean, from about halfway up, I'm like, well, first I think, what am I doing with my life and why am I here? <laughs> And, and, and there's just no way I can even sit down because it is so, so slow and so painful. Yeah. And I'm probably doing like 50 RPM and I've got 36.30, so. Yeah, like I swear I could hear like the sheep like eating their grass. I was going that slow. They were probably walking up faster than you, weren't they? Yeah. <laughs> they, were, they were definitely walking up faster yeah. than me. <laughs> they were just looking at me like, and you think you're gonna do nationals? <laughs> <laughs> Um, so actually we've had a, like a bit of a conversation with a few hill climbers recently some hill climbers just stay in the saddle no matter what and others are just out of the saddle I was going out of the saddle from the cow bridge at the bottom yeah that's, that's just like point. hell for me like, I have hell. to say that is me traditionally but when it gets that steep there's just no other option for me yeah out of the saddle yeah yeah <laughs> so you're going to go again I think if you want if you want to go again Lizzie I'd be happy to like <laughs> potter up with you Potter? No, I'm fine, thanks. I'll go straight to the cafe. <laughs> well, Winnitz is done, thank God. We are having some welcome respite and cake in Grasshopper Cafe in Hope, which is one of my favourites because there is a beautiful ginger cat that lives here called Mr. Cooper. <laughs> and it's a great opportunity to sit down and have a chat with Rebecca about, well, all things bike riding and all things life because one of the most amazing things about you Rebecca I think is that not only are you one of the best in the UK at hill climbing but you have an architecture practice you have an eight-year-old son and you're a single mum I am although I have Rick my partner now which I'm very thankful for <laughs> but we don't live together currently so I would say that um day to day I'm running a like a sort of single household but yeah like having Rick in my life now is like probably made it so much easier <laughs> But I mean, so let's look at back, back at last year. And I think last year, your hill climb season was phenomenal. But even right at the end, there was such a huge curveball because you were due to be going to the national championships. For sure, you were one of the favourites. Yeah, it was a stacked field, but you were one of the favourites. And then right at the last minute, COVID struck again. Yeah, yeah. Like Wales was really tight. I live in mid-Wales, so... Um, you know, Drakeford announced that Wales would go into lockdown 
um, whilst the rest of the country kind of had zones. So it just meant that I couldn't cross the border and then into England to do the championships and then cross back again, you know, otherwise I'd have been going against the COVID rules and, um, you know, I wanted to be a good citizen and and um, me and several others didn't go to the championships. Um, yeah. And yeah. how was that? I mean, you know, the whole year itself must have been challenging enough trying to homeschool your son, carry on running your architecture practice, try and do some training. And at some point, something has to give, but yeah. it didn't seem to. And you managed to be the best you had been at that point. Yeah. It seemed from the outside. So, so how did you manage that? Um, I'd say it was a really difficult year for me. Um, I went into January before, you know, before co- coronavirus kind of reared its ugly head and I felt the pressure and excitement of the you know the hill climb season which would obviously be like 10 months time because I'd had a really really good hill climb like debut season in 2019 but obviously lockdown hit um I think it was like a really hard time for me I think in reflection I dealt with it really badly so (laughs) um I thought my head was in a good place you know I felt I thought I was dealing with things in a really good way but in my life I have to put things into bubbles in my head and I have three very distinct bubbles and they all operate in sort of separate from each other um so one bubble is Arthur and how I care for Arthur so that what I mean by that is that I've decided that morning and night I'm there for Arthur so I'm not going to be um, training in the morning or evening. I'm not going to be like, you know, getting babysitters in and all that sort of stuff. So he goes to school and then I have six hours <laughs> and then I've got two other bubbles. One of them is work, which is vitally important because I'm a single income household. Um, you know, even like in this country now, the way it is with standards of living, like you need two people earning a standard wage to make it work. Um, so, you know, I, as a self-employed as well, I'm in my sort of third or fourth year of running a practice. Well, I am a sole trader. Um, and whilst, like, on paper, it looks like I'm earning, like, an average decent salary for a rural mid-wales, you know, um, in reality, I am, like, you know, scraping the barrel, just trying to pay the bills for, a, you know, like I say, a single-income household. So, yeah, I have to work. <laughs> So I have six hours to do the work, which is in one bubble. And then the third bubble is my biking, you know, and the training. And luckily I've had a coach now called Liam for four years. And what's great is that he completely understands like the work, work, bike balance. So I trust to him that he's just going to tell me what to do, the minimum I need to do to perform the best. So if he says you need to do two hours a day, I'm thinking, okay, I'm going to rearrange my whole six-hour window to make sure I do that two-hour ride. But what that kind of means in reality is I get back from school, I'm straight into work, like my focus is quite intense. Half 12 hits, I'm like eating lunch whilst getting ready. (laughs) And then by one o'clock, I'm like on the bike. And if I'm not on my bike by one o'clock, then I'm going to miss the school run. And that, you know, quite often I'm literally like running off the bike, throwing my bike in the house, like, you know, like just doing, getting off my shoes. I'm running out to the van to go and get Arthur. It can be that tight. And that's kind of like a daily thing. So you can imagine like when lockdown hit, um, those three bubbles that I had in like fine balance and were helping, you know, generally helped me keep a good like mental health and everything. Because 
biking's really important for me, you know, as it exercises for everybody, really, isn't it? Like, in terms of like oxygen to the mm, brain. Mm. And um, so when lockdown hit, all of a sudden I had managed finally after three years of working to set up my own practice the, the biggest value of works on my books i had about like sort of three million pounds worth of um value of works on you know in terms of projects um and i had a son who was um six years old and needing a lot of attention you know, still in his like you know childhood development years um and then i had my biking and all that pressure and you know my own my own pressure as well to want to do well for the season i saw this as my you know probably going to be my best season um and yeah so when they announced it my brain just went into like freefall really you know <laughs> like it was hurting like it was burning like what do i do what really ultimately i wanted to do was prioritize my son because at the end of the day like although like yeah um we all need to be financially stable in my mind a child's development is far more important Mm. he'll grow into be an adult one day but these are the crucial years so you know i didn't want to i put it in inverted commas neglect him as in stick him in front of a tv like yeah i'll do that every now and then for half an hour or so but when you know he's completely off school his whole life has changed he can't play with his kid friends he was a single um child anyway so I had to become his playmate, I had to become his teacher, you know. And what was really hard for me was this burning desire to be outside on my bike. Um, it wasn't just from a pure competitive point of view, like seeing everybody else going out for like super long rides and, you know, everyone's on sort of furlough. And I wouldn't say it was an enjoyable time for people, but certainly there were some perks to lockdown for mm. some people. Um, and I just wanted to go outside, you know, I just wanted to be able to just free my brain for a few hours. Um, but when I was getting those small opportunities, um, I was just too anxious. You know, I spent like the first hour on my bike having an anxiety attack. Like I was really, really making some bad decisions in my personal life to try and manage this situation. Um, so yeah, to the outside world, I was like growing veg. They were the perks of lockdown. I was like getting in the garden with Arthur growing veg. They were the perks. Um, the downsides were like literally dragging myself to the computer saying right I've got three hours I'm gonna have to try and do this work so when um the hill climb season finally came I was in pretty good shape somehow (laughs) um um, mentally I was okay but I was a bit wired it didn't I wasn't quite in you know I wasn't feeling quite as free as I had in the past going to competitions um so I got into some hill climbs there was only a few I, I was doing quite well but then mid or early October Arthur suffers from asthma quite badly and he he got a virus um he got like a a bad cold essentially but it it kind of what happens when he was getting cold is his asthma was flaring up so and around October he'll get asthma flare-ups because it's like time of year the damp pollen yeah so it was really I was like oh my god he's having another asthma flare-up but this happens all the time so it's like all of a sudden you're having to manage him Ventolin and everything like that and it just kept escalating and then um, we come back from a hill climb and his breathing was really bad and I don't know why it happens but it's always at night time I just thought no this isn't right I've been here before this is like I've got to get this he needs some um, top up of steroids here so took him down to the local like you know shop doc which is like a you know out of our service and they um, took his heart rate and everything and they were like basically there was fluid on the lungs and he had pneumonia 
um, which the asthma has was completely masking. Oh my goodness! Yeah, it was terrifying actually. We got and this was, was right at the end of the hill climb. This was right in the middle of it, oh right in the middle. So. Um, the most terrifying thing is when you're like your little kids is like ill like that you know because he didn't look it he didn't seem it he you know he seemed kids can compensate for a really really long yeah, time yeah and i remember we were drive we were driving to the doctors and he had a coughing fit and you know it was really bad and i remember mm. turning to me saying mummy mummy i don't want to die and i was like in my i felt so emotional and all you can do in those moments is just try and be calm to try and calm him to get the coughing under control got to hospital and he was in hospital for three days on like you know full oxygen and he was just amazing he is such a he's he's so level-headed when he's really sick that I wasn't <laughs> I, I was a I was a mess like you know to him I wasn't but you know but you know like I was so traumatized by how easily um kids get you know obviously he got ill um and then when we got home, I also caught the virus. Well, so I was, you know, I was a bit ill for three days, but nowhere near like what he had, you know. Um, and then I think the following weekend, the hill, you know, I had a hill climb. And it was just when all the whole like lockdown stuff was starting to get reintroduced and the zones. And I went to this hill climb, which was Ryburn Bank Road, and it's they're really cool events, you know, some tough competition. And I stood there and I thought, I don't, I don't want to be here. I don't see the point, you know. That, the stress and trauma of that situation, I think it built up from everything else I'd gone through in the year. So when like, they announced that nationals, I couldn't go to nationals, part of me was like, ah, do you know I really need this break? You know, I want to be at home with my family. Well, I mean, firstly, thank you for being so open and honest because I think it's so important for, for other people to kind of understand what goes on in people's lives and, and that, you know, behind these excellent performances it's not easy and it is complicated and we all we all fight for what we get nothing comes easy whatever you might think from instagram or the pictures online like nothing nothing is easy and we all have our own stories so i mean after all that what brought you back this year to fight again for the hill climbs because once again you're in excellent form we've just just seen you do um test run up winnets which was pretty impressive took the qm uh and despite that, you've already had a number of wins this year in hill climbs. So so what brought you back and, and what's your motivation to be back here? And, yeah, why? <laughs> um, thanks, Lizzie. Yeah, I think, you know, we just talked about, like, fighting. And um, although last year was a pretty tough year, it certainly wasn't my worst year I've had in recent times. Um, I learned how to fight, um, you know, probably, probably in the last five years I've had to fight my hardest. And actually, you know, the battle with lockdown and etc. was more of a hurdle. You know, it, the real fight happened when I was trying to, you know, really think about my survival as a, you know, a single mum and, and, and all those sort of things, you know, like there were times when I had no money and I'd go to the shop and I'd go and pay for something on a card and it would bounce and we've all been there when we're like you know putting ourselves on a line maybe trying something new that that point when you really hit rock bottom <laughs> yeah well you're, yeah I was trying to I was trying to set up a business which was the architectural business um but at the same time I was obviously having to pay all the bills and I knew you know I hoped and I knew that it might improve um and um yeah there were days when like the card bounced and you feel really embarrassed at your local shop but at the same time like you know I just moved on from it. But other times, like, you know, you're trying to wake yourself up to get working and it's a real fight. And I mean, for 
the first years in my cottage I rent, I didn't have central heating. And so um, it was just like such a, it's a 300 year old cottage. So every year, like I was battling with getting wood. And I remember one week in October, I just burst into tears because I wanted to do my work, but I needed to get wood. And the wood was quite critical because the house was freezing. I ended up spending like two or three days in between after school times running around trying to get wood but kind of in tears at the same time because I was not earning any money and I needed to get that bill in by the end of the week and you know they're, so they're the things where really form you because you go why am I doing this why am I actually still allocating one or two hours a day to my bike given the fact that I've just told you that I need you know really need to earn that money and it's because I have this burning passion inside me a burning mm. desire mm. like I can't explain it it's when you know you love something that much um, I love riding my bike I love the freedom of it and when I get on the bike everything's good you know so yeah coming into this year it, it wasn't really a decision you know I just keep carrying on I've learned how to fight and the main thing about fighting is you keep moving forward so yeah as soon as like um, you know the, as soon as the season was over I just started thinking about the next season. Like, it seemed obvious to me. Yeah, that was it, really. It's fascinating what you say, because, you know, over the last six months, I've, for those who listen to to this podcast will know that I've been dealing with a quite bad head injury from a concussion injury in March. And there have been a number of times during this process where I have thought, is this what I want? And at the beginning, I was, I was really, really sick. And I kind of thought, why am I doing this? Because... You put your life on the line and it's not just me, it's my husband and, and we live life together and it's about both of us. And at the times when I was so sick that riding would make me even more sick, it was difficult to not think about those aspects and, and why am I doing this. But as I got better, it's the same thing as you. I just have this burning desire to be on the bike. I'm not ready to stop fighting. I'm not ready to quit. And I just bloody love cycling and the thing is it gives it gives me so much when I go out on the bike sometimes it's difficult to leave the house for whatever reason but as soon as I go out on the bike and especially once I get back I I feel so good that the joy it brings you yeah the rush of endorphins the adrenaline just being outside being in these beautiful places lucky to live in you know on the edge of a peak district national park it's difficult to explain that to somebody who perhaps doesn't cycle so yeah i i really really get it did you manage to find better balance this year because we've had less lockdowns um but you still have to be able to train so did you manage to find better balance and if so how um yeah no yeah definitely and like I think the thing what you just said about you know having that feeling of feeling good when you're getting back from a bike ride like it if anything it's a coping strategy for life so actually by spending that one or two hours out on the doing the thing you love enables you to do be that much better at everything else and more efficient and have a better way of thinking about how you're gonna like say sort you know sort the puzzle of life out (laughs) it's interesting isn't it for me I've never used headphones when I ride for me riding is purely thinking time it's a way to empty of course it's a way to you know work and to train as well but I empty my mind I have my best ideas on the bike sometimes wish I had a little notepad but I often just record voice memos Um, and it's just a way to get that clarity in your mind that our lives are so busy and, and often it doesn't allow for 
Yeah, definitely. Like when I was before uh, I rode and when I was, well, I did, I've always ridden, but when I worked with my dad when in my early 20s, we'd go for a two hour walk every day. And, and he had a, you know, he had 30 men working for him. We were doing like, um, like, you know, carpenters. And for him to spend um, two hours every day going for a walk in the woods, and in that walk, we'd come up with all of the solutions to some of the problems we had. Um, yeah, so. So going back to the thing about balance, um, Arthur's growing older. He's also just getting that much more like um, adult, not adult. More, you know, he's, as he's getting older, he's easier to be around in terms of spending like good days out with him, like biking and things like that. And my, you know, naturally my desire to spend more time with him on like doing those things is evolving and shifting. Equally, my work, like I said to you, my work was like really picking up just as lockdown hit, and I somehow managed to keep it all like in check. My clients were amazing; they were really patient. So this year has been my busiest like work you know season. Um, I've had some really exciting projects, and I sort of had to say to myself like, right, you know, within those three bubbles, I'm gonna have to shift some of my priorities front end of the year. Like I'm comfortable enough now with my biking to know that you know, I, I can just get on the bike and ride and I'm going to keep my base level fitness. And I really focused on my work. And then like we just did some little changes to our, our setup. So um, you know, Rick, who's my partner now, we've been together for about a year and a half or so. Like We just started spending more weekends together as a like, you know, me, Rick and Arthur, the focus wasn't about me training. The focus was about the weekend with Arthur. So what I do is I get up really early, go on the turbo and I do it because I really wanted them to spend the rest of the day with them. So we go mountain biking or go to the beach or camping. And then mid, you know, June time, we went on a bike packing trip and none of that stuff would fit into a traditional kind of training window. But after I did all that stuff, um, after we did that bikepacking holiday, I felt so, so good, like so good. Um, I felt the best I felt in years. Um, and I thought, wow, this is an amazing feeling. And that just transferred onto the bike. Like, I couldn't believe it. I felt like, I felt that excitement of when you first start racing, when everything's new, um, everything's a buzz, you know? And so I just, that's what I did. Arthur went away to his dad's for a week and I just looked at all the races and went, I'm gonna go and do that one. I'm gonna go and do that one. And, and everything felt exciting and fresh. And I got some great numbers in my data and it was brilliant, yeah. <laughs> ah, brilliant. Well, finally, let's get on to the tech side of things. <laughs> we are after all a tech podcast, but it's the stories behind these things that actually make it so fascinating. So, Rebecca, your bike's hanging on the wall on the other side of the cafe. Tell me about your setup, because it's a pretty special setup. And actually, we had G Milner on, um, I think back in February, who had a, a dream build setup with the same frame. So he'd built up this bike, and it was a real-world disc brake frame with a full set of gears, DI2. And I think it was five kilos? 4.9. 4.96 kilos and for me that is absolutely bonkers because going back to oh, 2017 I remember stripping down my bike to to make it into a hill climb bike and I didn't have anything really fancy but I tried to I tried to do everything I could cut down the handlebars took off the big ring took out all the cables and bolts and whatever I could and I got it down to just under seven kilos <laughs> but well what does your bike bike weigh now Rebecca well, it currently 
or will weigh for nationals about 4.6 which for a disc brake bike is pretty amazing um i did have a bike a road bike set up like you did i cut everything down i think i got to like 6.7 in 2019 and last year so this bike is just like a next level and it it looks beautiful it's just a joy to ride every time i get in it i'm just like thinking right this is you know whatever happens like the bike's kind of got me covered here (laughs) when you hit those steep climbs what is the difference in feel between a traditional road bike with a hill climb setup and this really specific setup where every single component is optimized the main difference is that it is just generally lighter and the the, the significant part of it is in the wheels so there are um, a pair of z um wheels which is uh, lee lee we we featured uh, we featured said wheels back on the podcast in uh i think november 2019 and Mm. you've got a pair of his string spoke wheels i think i have a pair of his string spoke disc wheels um so i think so the pair combined are 750 they will be a bit lighter if they're for a caliper you know setup brake setup yeah and this rolling resistance basically you know they're so light that it it really like brings down the rolling resistance so it means that you've got better acceleration it's when you have to accelerate isn't it and then that acceleration is just instant so what Uh, tires do you run well um in the dry it'd be a pair of vittoria courses um tubular and then in wet conditions you're going to be looking at the like veloflex or something like that service course uh, tire um, and really, you got to play. You know, you got to think about your pressure, and, and the, it's the rear tire pressure that counts the most because that's the one that you're pushing against the whole way, um, particularly yeah. on the steep climbs. Yeah, so there's yeah. a climb round here called uh, called Ryber Hill, and it's notorious for being <laughs> covered in leaves. It's in mid October, and everybody slips and slides. Yeah. So if you've got a high tire pressure, it's just not going to work, is it? No. And when it's isn't quite like that because although it's very steep it it is very clean it's very grippy yeah Yeah. it's a it's a typical rough british road surface and so it is grippy and thankfully it's also in a part of a country where you don't really have to worry about punctures but in some places you would want to go for a harder tire because if there's Mm. flints then that that puncture risk is so much higher yeah and so the frame specialized ethos frame yeah how light is that frame? <laughs> it's light. Um, there's no paintwork on it, so it just strips all of that away. Rick's going to butt in here. What's yeah. what's the weight? The frame on its own is about 600 and something grams, like 649, I think. Off the top. 600 and something is light enough for me. <laughs> and then what are the rest of the components on there? What have you spec'd it out with? Well, I've got some um, at, like just lovely Darimo handmade carbon um, bars and saddle seat post. Um, the actual saddle is um, you know, the is fixed with these Dyneema straps, so these like polymer, yeah, polymer string. Um, we've got literally no handlebar tape or anything like that. Um, now, some of the things you can't really see and really appreciate are like the nuts and bolts, literally on the bike, <laughs> and um, I want to take credit for it, but I really can't because Rick, you know, just you know does so much research into this and i just get these little parcels turn up at my door and i open it and in it is a bolt and i'm wow. right then yeah. i'm gonna go over to rick here rick what are the bolts what are the nuts and bolts on this bike um well you can replace various steel nuts and bolts with um titanium and aluminium um it saves minimal weight you know you're talking like two gram a bolt but Quite a lot of bolts on a bike. There's a lot of bolts on a bike, so when you add it up, you, you save weight. Um, there's other little, just little bits, and you, 
when you add it up, you can save hundreds of grams on just changing, you know, it's like the, the steerer bunk, you may only save 15 grams on changing that, but when you add it up, it, you can save half a kilo. Yeah, and, and it's going to be pretty difficult to save half a kilo on your body weight. Yeah. Rick's yeah. philosophy or ethos around all this is to try and keep the hill climb spirit going where you don't really want to spend thousands of pounds because that's like not in the spirit of kind of hill climbing as such, you know. Um, so, yeah, his philosophy is a pound per gram. So <laughs> if, if something costs, you know, so if we're going to save 10 grams, it can't cost more than 10 pounds. <laughs> That's just moving tight. <laughs> yeah, that's just a nor- yeah, northern northern there. <laughs> I love that. Well, there's so much focus on the weight of the bike. Finally, what do you what what's your approach to to body weight? Is that something that's important to you or not? Because I know for me when I was doing hill climbs, it never really occurred to me to try and lose weight. I've always been so um careful to make sure i eat enough to make sure that the calories in really meet the calories out plus the calories that i need for my daily living and it is so important to have enough power so yeah what's your approach to that i completely agree with you and i do exactly the same thing i think it's a really important factor for the main reason that you've got to make sure you're getting the appropriate amount of calories like you say to not only live but to cover the the calories that you're using in the day and exercise I during this time of year because it is like a massive topic in you know people do get kind of a little bit like down go a little bit down a rabbit hole about this you know my my body you know they're thinking my body weight my body weight and I'm thinking okay this is something that I'm thinking about so I need to make sure I monitor it to make sure I'm getting enough in because um if you can't when you do those intense training exercises that's when you're getting your all the gains so if you're in a calorie deficit you're making no gains and even worse you're actually going to lose power there's only two ways you can do um there's only two ways you can improve your watts per kilo which is the the magic formula for hill climbing and there's only two there's only really one part of the year that you could potentially lose weight if you think you've got weight to lose and that would be in your off season you know when you really not like not the off season when you when you just want to eat everything you got but coming back into it but that's that's only if you actually have weight to lose like you know like I don't have weight to lose <laughs> like I'm a lean athlete and I look around at all my competitors and they're lean athletes you're a lean athlete like usually maybe not after six months <laughs> Well, I certainly, you know, certainly looking at you, you're an athletic athlete. Like, I think we should be focusing a lot more on power. If you look at some of the top hill climbers out there, like the men, like say, let's say Andy Feather, um, I'm trying to think of other riders now, like Dan Evans, like they, they're not skinny guys, they're lean, but they're strong. You can see the muscle on them. And the same in the women's field. Like, I'm not um, like what you class as a, a lightweight rider because I'm tall, so I can't ever be like really really ridiculously low kilo because that that you know what you know kilo, i would never weigh that like that much so i i will have to work with what i got um and i focus a lot more on power and anyway if somebody has got a better watts per kilo to me then that's fine because it's not about other people it's a race of truth it's about your best performance on the day it's a race against the clock the success for me in nationals is have me and my coach had a successful program to get me to my peak performance on the day um, and that includes nutrition 
And if I put out, say, my best numbers, or I felt I went my best on the day, then that's uh, the success. If you give 100%, there's nothing else that, that you could do. And if somebody beats you, so be it. Yeah, definitely. And there's no such thing as best either. Like we talk about, you know, who's the best in the world. Well, one person might be the best on the day, but there's no, it's, it's impossible to reach that kind of nirvana where someone is the best, you know, forevermore, that's it. Um, it's a, life is a shifting, changing thing, as we've just been t- chatting about, you know. So I think the main thing is you just got to enjoy the ride. And if you really, truly enjoy getting on your bike, Try, enjoy pushing yourself like never let that comparison like bring you down and stop you from doing it what brilliant advice well thank you so much rebecca all the best for nationals and the rest of the races this year and thank you for being so honest thank you lizzie and um yeah i look forward to seeing you back racing again <laughs> <laughs> not not on the hill climbs this year though thankfully i thought i will be watching thanks very much chute, chute à du Cycling podcast team car at the back of the pack please This episode is also sponsored by LinkedIn. Now today, many small business owners are busier than ever. Time spent searching for and interviewing candidates can take time away from managing and growing a business. That's why LinkedIn Jobs has made it easier to get the candidates worth interviewing faster, and it's free. Now we've used LinkedIn here at the Cycling Podcast to recruit producers. I've also used it personally for my own business. I work for myself um, as a freelance producer, so... I'm often responding to job adverts on LinkedIn. I'm also pleading for jobs on LinkedIn and letting people know that I'm available. But I also have a production company myself called Stripped Media and we've used LinkedIn ourselves to hire for big projects, radio production, podcast production projects that we're doing. You can create a free job post in minutes on LinkedIn Jobs and it reaches the world's largest professional network with over 30 million people in the UK alone. Focus on candidates with the skills and experience that you need. Use screening questions to get your role in front of only the most qualified people. LinkedIn Jobs helps you find the candidates worth interviewing faster and you can post a job for free. Just visit linkedin.com slash cycle. Again, that's linkedin.com slash cycle to post a job for free. Just a warning though, if you do post a podcast production job, I may apply. Well, Lizzie, National Hill Climb, I've asked you a few times. Are you gonna you gonna be there on a bike? Are you gonna ride it? <laughs> I, w- I will be there on a bike, but I won't be competing. <laughs> I, I mean I think I have more sanity than to compete on that climb. Um it's funny though, I mean hill hill climbing was really my first love and yeah, it's not something that I'll be able to compete in this year, but it's not something that I rule out in the future. And it's definitely not something that I would never do because I'm racing professionally, but usually the timing of it just isn't great. So the road season kind of ends at the end of September and usually traditionally with the world championships. And by that time, you're just pretty smoked. I mean, you've been going full gas since February and like the last thing that you want to do is uh, go on a diet and race race up hills for another month. So really yeah. all you can think about at that point is just, you know, smashing the cake. Um, I, went so the, um, I, I went to the national, I think the national, oh no, we didn't get to the national. I went to the, uh, the Monsal hill climb a couple of years ago, um, similar time of year. Um, Tom Pickcock did it. So, but he can do anything, can't he? Really, pick up. So. Yeah, that was two years ago. That was uh, that's another fantastic hill climb. I mean, if you live in the UK, go and have a look on the Cycling Time Trials website, and you'll be able to find hill climbs near you. And it's just a brilliant thing to go and spectate at because 
I, I mean, it's the reason I fell in love with cycling and there, there is a reason. It's because the community is just so wonderful. And like all things, you kind of turn up to these things and you don't really know anybody. And after a couple, you you get to know people and you start talking about the bikes and there's so much silliness with what we do to our bikes to try and make them lightweight. And as you heard when I was talking to Rebecca, I, I thought I'd done a really good job on my bike, at, you know, four or five years ago, making it under under seven kilos. And now, you know, she's coming along with a nearly four and a half kilo bike. It's just it's just bonkers what people are doing with bikes now. But no, the, the British hill climbing scene is is balmy, but absolutely brilliant and and i think going along to spectate at a hill climb bringing your well i have a paella pan and a potato masher which i use to to cheer the riders on so i'll put that in my backpack on the way to the national hill climb champs on the 31st of october at winnett's pass Halloween as well, perfect. Halloween for a hill climb. That's going to be great, that. Um, I don't know if you saw me at Monza, actually. I was the guy dressed in a green morph suit. <laughs> running alongside the riders. That was me. I'm an idiot. Um, there's, there's, there's another one near you, actually. I've always been curious about, about actually. There's one, um, there's one in the Peak District called... It's the Grindleford uh, Hill Climb. Have you ever done that one? Yeah, so actually, funny story about this. So the Grindleford Goat is... It's, it's That's it, the Grindleford Goat. So it's actually a sportive and they run different sportives for different lengths and they run, they have a billy goat, a nanny goat, a kid goat, and then they also have a gruff goat, which is an off-road sportive, but they also oh, is this run... The one where, Lizzie, is this the one where you've been rescuing people? I is this where we go? Um, go? Go for it. Yes, right. I, I did, see. I it all did comes not together. set this up. I mean, <laughs> this has been a month of me just rescuing people in the Peak District. <laughs> so... I was invited along to the the Grindleford Goat Sportive by the organiser. And unfortunately, I wasn't able to attend the main sportive. But I went along and said hello. And then uh, I was out on my ride in the Peak District. And on the way home, I came across a lost gruff goat. And this poor lady, she was forlorn. Her her phone had died. uh, And so she didn't know where she was going. And she was halfway up Frogget, which was the wrong climb on the way to the finish of the Grindleford Goat Sportive. I asked her if she was okay and she said, do you know where Grindleford is? So I realised that she was not in a good place to be able to find it herself. So I actually just took her off. I took her back to the the HQ myself um, and we got there and we got offered a free curry. So, of course, we took it. (laughs) Then on the way home, I came across another forlorn rider who I said, are you okay?" And she said, yeah, I'm fine. She was pushing her bike. She said, I'm fine, but I'm just really, really tired. So I got a Snickers out of my pocket and said, would you do you want this? And she took it faster than you can say Mars bar. So there you go. There's my month of me rescuing people in the Peak District. If you're ever if you're ever in a pickle in the Peak District, don't worry. I'll probably be riding past in five or ten minutes. Be there to <laughs> give you a Snickers or take you to the place you need to go. It's a theme. I mean, you're, you're rescuing people. I, I normally end up pulling lambs' heads out of fences. That's my normal Peak District <laughs> ride. I'd, the last time I went up Snake Pass, I had to do that. You know, stop in traffic <laughs> to, to help us help a lost lamb. Oh, it's a nightmare, isn't it, out there? I think it's a great, you've done a great advert there for the Grindleford Goat, though. You've, you've made it sound like it must be the hardest sportive in the in the whole country. It, it is a tough sportive, but they also have what you're going back to. They also have a hill climb, and that's up Sir William Hill in the Peak that's District. That's it. Yeah, that's it. And that is a, another brute of a climb, and I think it averages ten percent, which it sounds like nothing now that we've been talking about Bamford <laughs> Club and thirty six point five percent. But trust me. Sir William Hill is is a really, really 
tough, tough, tough climb and it's over 10% for 10 minutes. So it really just goes on and on and on. And similar is it that to, long? To, is it really that long? It Honestly, is that I've, long. Only ever, I've only ever come around the bottom corner of it on the way to sort of towards Chatsworth. So I've never actually been turned right and gone I guess up you it. don't really time yourself if you, um, if you start and then you get off and walk, do you, Tom? <laughs> no, no, not on my uh, not on my fixed gear with my you know, fifteen fifteen tooth cog on the back. The cycling podcast is supported by Science in Sport. Science in Sport, fueled by science. Thanks as ever to Science in Sport for their continuing support of the cycling podcast. We really do appreciate it. And after listening to this episode, perhaps you want to stock up on some sustenance for the hill climb season for those really hard efforts. If you do, you can get 25% off your next order with Science in Sport. Just go to scienceinsport.com and enter the offer code SISCP25. Well, Lizzie, it's been great to see you. I'm glad, and we haven't. Do you know what? Do you know what's been great about this podcast? We've barely had to talk about your recovery because, well, it just seems to be happening now. It's great, isn't it? Yeah, it's just, you know, I, I really hope that, you know, having spoken a lot about concussion over the last few months, that not just the people that listen to this podcast, but also friends of people who listen to this podcast, learn more about concussion and learn that it is completely reversible. Because I've I've come across so many people that I've been in touch with who have had really terrible advice. And it's one of those things that it's it's the time right now when people are beginning to realise that the old advice about sit down in a dark room is wrong. And it's very much use it or lose it. If you break your leg and you never do any rehab, you're not going to get those muscles back. And it's the same with your brain. And so at this point now, I'm... I'm pretty much fixed. You know, I'm like, I said, I think last time I was 95% there. I'm like 98% there now. And it's just a case of practicing Did you say 98? I was just going to add that to my graph that I've been keeping. So 98, let's put another point. I wasn't sure if that was because you couldn't remember because you'd had a concussion yourself. Um, Yeah, and it's just a case of practicing those things that I haven't done because there there was a period of six months when I I wasn't really socialising and I wasn't really riding my bike that much. And... You know, I would love it if I could click my fingers and say everything's back to normal and I'm doing the same number of hours and I'm doing the same number of everything. But, you know, screens aren't a problem anymore. Speaking to people isn't a problem anymore. Riding and biking isn't a problem anymore. In fact, riding my bike is actually such a boost. It makes me feel so, so good. Um, But equally, you can't just go back to being absolutely 100%. I'm I'm 90, 98% there, but it's just a case of building things up slowly. And, you know, like if anybody has a kind of six month off season, you, you know, you can't be flying straight away. So yeah, chipping away, building it up. Pretty happy with where I am, to be honest. I, I feel kind of better than if I'd have come back from, just come back from an off season. So I'm in a really good place. And um, yeah, I've got a long time to build up for the season. So uh, I'll probably build up till maybe the end of October, get to a good level and then maybe go and have a week on a beach somewhere because I think after this year I need to just uh, have a proper seven days of just chilling out and not thinking about bikes or anything like that before building up to the season. Sounds starting to sound like Chiro, Lizzie. Uh, <laughs> right. Well, with that, it's been great, Lizzie. Enjoy the rest of your break in Scotland and uh, hopefully, um, well, hopefully we can meet up by um, Bamford Clough at some point. And I can... <laughs> <laughs> you give me a Don't forget to bring Snickers. your walking shoes. <laughs> you Don't know forget your thinking? Snickers. 
I was thinking I might go up on the mountain bike actually. Got a 3250 on there, so uh, if I can't get up on that, I'm not going to get up on anything.